Thank the Lord. I want to thank Sister Dawn for that wonderful meal today. I like gumbo. That's the southern side of me. <laughs> uh, every time we go down south, I remember the first time I had real good gumbo, and I hope somebody's not listening trying to figure out where I was first. But I, it was over in Monroe, Louisiana, and those people can cook, too. Did you ever go out there to go catfish Charlie? Well, I like catfish. You don't have one of those here, do you? Okay. Well, I sure enjoyed that. And uh, thank the Lord. You all are making me feel so uh, welcome and just, just such a family atmosphere. I'm just enjoying it. The only problem is my wife's not here to take part. Um, but she said, uh, you know, what, what did you preach on the family? I said, of course I did. And she said, oh, did you tell them everything or just the part that you like? <laughs> I said, well, I, I think I told them everything. And she said, what about that incident? Did you tell them about that? I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> she said, you ought to even it up and, and tell them that part. <laughs> so one time I'm watching my moderator, John Kinneman, at that time. Uh, I was just, just so impressed. I still am. And his persona, his demeanor, he is such a gentleman. He is just a gentleman top to bottom. And uh, I was talking to you about bettering yourself, you know, improving your brand. And I thought, you know what, because I, I, I would watch him, and when they'd come to our house, uh, we'd look looking through the window, and, and they park, and he steps out first, and she just patiently waits, and and he comes around and, and opens the door for her, and, and she steps out, just, just you know, just, just such a lady, and <clears throat> she walks you know, like she's gliding, like she's like, you know. <laughs> and I look at, I'm very impressed by it. I, I want to try doing that, being a gentleman and opening the door and all that stuff. So, so one day I decided I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try it. So we're about to go somewhere, my wife, and and she's almost beating me out the door. And I remember, I gotta try it. So I rush out, to jump in front of her, and. And, uh, and so I get in front of her, and I'm out by the car, and wonder, what, what, what is this guy doing now? And so I come around, and I, I grab the door, and I say, <laughs> okay. She gets in, and sits down, and I close the door, and I hop over and drive her seat. And I'm just, I, I'm being a gentleman. I felt so good. I was like, well, I did a just right. Just like Brother Kidman, except there was a problem. We were going down the freeway, and uh, I noticed that the car pulled up next to me in the other lane, and we're doing about 45, 50 miles an hour, and he's going like that. And I'm waving, he goes, no, that's there. And he points down and says, oh, no. Honey, check your skirt. <laughs> Flapping in the wind, I I closed the door and her skirt was out. <laughs> I stopped when she I she sat in one time and I come around and she sat down and now I'm already closed the door and she's still waiting. I said what? She goes. I said no, I did not see him put the seatbelt on. You have to, have to do that yourself. We're talking to. Brother Kinnaman said, I said, how do you, how do you, how do you do it, brother? How, how are you 
and everything. And uh, Sister Kinnaman, like, you know, he just does everything. And 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 she said, and we're sitting around the dining table, and my kids are there, my wife's there. And Sister Kinnaman says, Brother Pettis, I don't even know how to pump my own fuel. Samantha leads over and says, Dad, it's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope they're not listening on this. I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to ask you to go with me to the book of Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I'm going to try to show you the Bible explanation of what a full salvation is. It was Albert Einstein who said that if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. So I'm going to ask us to stand Psalm 51 verses 1 through 17. Amen. Are you there? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be Justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with his, how do you pronounce that? Hyphen, hyphen, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it, that delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Verse 10 says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I want to talk to you tonight about David's prayer for full salvation. David's prayer for full salvation. Amen. I'm going to ask our pastor to pray one more time for us. Let us <clears throat> the truth in our heart, 
If a cow and a bull uh, decide they're going to have family, they're not going to have a hippopotamus. They're going to have a calf. Everything according to its name, or, or, according to its species, its kind. So when you have a, uh, let's say you're on a farm and, and, and the mama duck has got a bunch of eggs and sitting on them, all of a sudden the time comes and those eggs begin to begin to hatch and, and the little duckling uh, uh, jumps out of the shell. Uh, immediately you can tell that the relation between, between mama duck and baby duck, the duckling. But then again, you see in the duckling that the minute he is born, he's sniffing out something. He wants water. And that testifies to the fact that the duck is an aquatic animal. He is inclined. He is naturally drawn to water. And so man, in his inherited corruption, he naturally gravitates towards sin. It is part of his nature that he inherited. For you see, when Adam and Eve sinned, they sent us representatives of our race. And we were made in their physical likeness after the fall, not before. So we, by law, inherited the sinful nature in our hearts. Are you with me, or did I lose you? So when we see David, he, he, he takes responsibility for his sinful life. He wasn't making excuses. He wasn't blaming, he wasn't trying to rationalize, he wasn't trying to blame a wife who was incompatible. He accepted the indictment of Isaiah 59 2 that says this, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your senses have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You see, there is no cover up with the wise man. A man will always, a wise man will always face the facts. And as Psalm 18, uh, 28, 13 says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. So David was willing to humble himself before God. And, and though this, this was a public sin, he as king, he, he was not accountable to his subject. Think about that. There was no human authority by which he could be judged or punished. He was king. He was king. He answered to nobody. Physically. But he acknowledges that he was accountable to God who could judge and punish him. So he cries out and he says, have mercy upon me, O God, against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. One of the things that God wants to do in us is restore our, our ability to call sin for what it is. When that is gone, it, everything counts. When there's no longer sin, when sin is no longer identified in a biblical way, then everything counts. So we see the king, he prostrates himself before the king of kings in a spirit of utter contrition. In verse 16 and 17, he acknowledges that no animal sacrifices, but a broken spirit, a contrite heart, are the only offerings that are appropriate for him to bring him back to God. You see, the, the, the Hebrew word to use here it means to break into pieces, to completely shatter. David was a broken man. David had gone to the bottom. So we see here that he acknowledges, uh, he acknowledges sin and, 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 and not only acknowledges, but his, 
He's confessing and, 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 and it grieves to him what he's done. For you see, we are told that four years had gone past uh, after he committed that adultery with Bathsheba. Four years! He thought maybe it's over, I've already paid, and, and I know that there was consequences, and, 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 and to you and I, we would have said, well, yeah, that, you know, God already took care of that, but, but uh, we see the prophet, uh, Nathan, comes and, and talks to David, and he tells him that little story about the sheep, and David is, is enraged, and he says, that man deserves to die. He said, thou art the man, David, that's you. That's you. And that's what a faithful prophet will do to us. Will tell us exactly where we're at. And his reaction tells us how he was going to be healed. He didn't make up an excuse. He didn't say, well, I was tired. I, I didn't feel like going to battle. And, and, and I'm a man. I have natural need. Blah, 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 blah. No, he said, I have sinned. And that's where it all started, friend Pack. And that's where it will start for you. To say that is sin, I don't care how I sugarcoat it, I don't care how I excuse it, the Bible calls it sin, and until I call it sin, until I acknowledge that it's sin, you're going nowhere. Because God can't, he can't deal with us when, 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 when we don't uh, uh, level up to, to his expectations and acknowledge. So, we see him that... Uh, uh, the true confession is, is, not a, is not a single act, but it, it comprehends only three things. I want to talk about confession. First of all, again, I already mentioned the right estimate of sin. The true penitent regards sin not as a mere misdirection or the result of imperfect development, but as a calculated and deliberate violation of a known law of God. That is sin. So sin, in, in the sense... Uh, uh, we find it has two kinds of meanings that we need to we need to be be careful and know about. One uh, means to miss the mark, miss the mark, and it talks about an archer having the bullseye, and he takes his arrow, and and he means to hit it, he's aiming to hit it, but it, he he misses it, and and that is one one interpretation of what sin is. That's not what we're talking about here. David knew that this was wrong. He deliberately did it. And notice, when you read this story, it's astonishing how God tried to stop him. With Uriah. Uriah was a righteous man. And God kept putting all these roadblocks to prevent him. But he was just so determined he was going to have his way. There comes a time God's going to pull the last roadblock and says, go ahead. You go ahead. You're determined. You go ahead and do it. I'm trying to teach you a lesson before it happens, but apparently you're willing to go bang your head in the wall. Go do it. When we are so determined to do what is wrong, God's just going to say, okay, then fine, then do it. I believe David uh, uh, should have been out in the, in the battlefield. Uh, and he was a man of war. And, but here he is uh, in this time of leisure. And, 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 and uh, you know, that, that's when we need to be careful. We need to be careful. And I've known that in order for me to stay blessed and say, I've got to keep on the offensive. And I'm not going to wait for the devil to come to me. I'm going to kick my feet up in the couch and, and sit and daydream all day except for to keep the victory. No. An idle mind is the devil's playground. And many people, that's what they do. They wonder why they're so defeated. They wonder why they're so attacked by Satan. Well, you're making yourself a target. 
You know, we we all have a comfort zone, but not a lot happens there. I'll tell you that. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But true confession is the, the right estimate of sin, and, and he he knew exactly what he had done, and 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 he also had the right feeling in relation to sin. He he loathed sin and grieves having uh, having done this, and and uh, you know I'm I remember my mind is going back when when the ex president Bill Clinton was he was caught to degrading our, our, our the, the the White House and 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 all that mess, and and somebody asked him after they said, uh, "Are you sorry you did it?" He said, "No, I'm just sorry I got caught." And that's where some people can't get true victory. They're just sorry they got caught. They got smoked out. That's the only thing they're sorry about. And when there's no sorrow and there's no uh, right feeling in relation to sin and, and, and to our conduct, God has nowhere to start until we convince ourselves, until we, we, we measure up with God's estimation of sin. And then, notice how he says, uh, he endeavors to forsake sin and to follow after holiness. He recognizes evil of sin. He regards it as an unrighteous thing. He calls it mind iniquity. Sin is a reversal of a true moral relation and order. Sin is not part of God's plan. Sin is not part of God's plan. Sin was a consequence of man's action. And God being holy, he cannot ever agree with sin. He cannot ever condone sin in anyone. And because he's the kind of God that he is, I want you to listen to me tonight, he will never put you in a situation where sin is the only way out. He is much too holy. And he loves you so way too much to put you in a situation where sin is is the only way out. So David, we find him. And, uh, and, and he's, uh, he calls it an, an unrighteous thing as a breach moral law. He said, my transgressions, my sins, uh, they had violated God's holy law. And, 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 it, and the supreme and gracious sovereign, he knew he had done something wrong. And I'm telling you, we cannot have revival until we start estimating our actions and, and, and calling things for what they are. As pastors, we've dealt with some stuff, and, and I serve on the advisory board of my district and elders of relations, too. And I tell you, even as a local pastor, there's some things that really concern me. We, we have a little computer in our hands, and it's getting a lot of people in trouble. Well, this, this ain't wrong to do it. It ain't wrong to look at this. It ain't wrong to look at that. Can I give you some advice? If the Holy Spirit was looking over your shoulder like he is, would you still do it? Would you still click on that? Would you still do it? Can his Holy Spirit agree with some of that garbage that, that, that our people are exposed to? Would he agree? And we end up grieving the very person because the Holy Spirit is a person. The only person that can help us to get sanctified and get us to heaven. We grieve him with our everyday actions. Brother, you know, telephone servers used to be for just calling. Now, that's probably the last thing they're for. You know, I'm so glad we don't go into social media. I've 
never been on a Facebook, Facebook, whatever. I, I don't even try to get me to, I wouldn't know where the hell that's at. Somebody, somebody will go in there just to see what's going on. I don't need to know what's going on. I don't need to stick my hand in the garbage can to see how it smells. I don't need it. They said, well, don't you need to know what you're talking about? I said, I do. Vanity. There you go. Vanity. I don't need to go, and I see. I, I, we were at the, uh, at the, at the airport in, in Manila. Uh, we were on our way to, to the Philippines for, for a revival. We were on our way to, uh, Palawan. And, uh, there's this young lady there that said about, uh, we were at the airport about three rows in front of us. We're waiting for our, our flight to arrive and, and to leave. And, and, uh, my wife and I and were sitting down and, and we glanced over and, and out came the stick up like that. And then there was lady's cell phone was up there. I was like, what is that? And she starts taking that and starts clicking this, clicking that, clicking that way, clicking from the back, clicking with the last glasses on, clicking with them off, clicking with them on, this way. She spent about 30 minutes taking pictures of herself. Where do you think those pictures were going? Look at me! Everybody pay attention to me! My family in California, they're so wrapped up in that. When I go there, I, I just about get depressed when I go down there. You know, we were, my mom made a meal for us in there, and she's feeding us, and my, my, one of my sisters starts taking pictures of all that food. I said, what are you going to do with that? Well, I'm going to post them on my Facebook. I said, who cares what you're having for breakfast? It, are you that lame? Are you that boring? Are you that vain that you need to, everybody needs to know what you're having for breakfast? That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And some of our people are doing that. They're, they're getting tangled up in that. The vanity of their hearts draw them toward that stuff. And vanity is a sin. They said our hearts have become vain. And, and the Lord rebukes that. And, and I'm telling you, we, we, we've, we've got so many traps the devil's laying out for us. But we better call sin for what it is. Somebody asked me, when are you going to get your son a cell phone? He's 16. I said, I know my boy. And when he asks me for it, I'll tell him why I won't give him one. So somebody asked him. So when are you going to let, ask your dad for a cell phone? When's he going to let you have one? He, says, he said, when, when he feels like I'm mature enough to have one, he'll let me know. And I don't need one. I don't need one. He's never owned a cell phone. He's 16. But there's other kids in my church that their parents have, have, have given in. Well, it's for emergencies. Can I tell you that it's never been used for emergency? It's been the reason I spend in their living rooms till 11, sometimes midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, because the kids have got tangled up in pornography. But it's for an emergency. What emergency? You better be suspicious when somebody takes their cell phone and locks themselves in the bathroom for an hour. Sister, you better start asking some questions what he's doing in there. I've been in the parsonage when a couple comes running down the stairs to talk to us. Ladies in tears, I just caught my husband looking at pornography at home. You know how sad that is? And when, when we were talking to him, he acted like it was no big deal. I said, that right there is the problem. He said, today, 
They've never gotten help from God. They walked away from our church not too long ago after being in for more than five years. You have to know. We have to ask God, is this sin? The Holy Spirit is very faithful. He discerns sin. He's sensitive to sin. And he wants to make you and I sensitive to sin as well. Dude, we dare not fall into, into the, the, the perception nowadays that nothing is sin. That everything is a, look at what David, this is the effect that it had on David. And this ought to terrify you. Okay? First of all, it affected his heart. Sin affected his heart. You know, he's talking about his heart. Created me a clean heart. Sin has consequences. And sin, you know, when it comes to sin, you get to choose the sin, but you don't get to choose the consequences. Well, they treated me very unfairly. Well, you chose the sin. You don't get to dictate the consequences. You just don't. I'm sorry you're hurt. I'm sorry that you don't like what we're dealing with it. But you have no say-so in the matter. We're trying to be gracious. I'll help you through your restoration. You can't call the shots. You lost the decision power back when you started doing what you knew you weren't supposed to be doing. That's when you should have exercised your... So the heart, the heart, David's heart not only became defiled, but it also became hard. And when we harvest sin, it hardens the heart. The heart was the first victim. The Bible says, of all things, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart. Every time you go into that garbage, every time you, you, you stick it in that garbage, you, you, you're hurting your heart. You're on the way to becoming insensitive. And the deeper you go, the more insensitive you become. Somebody said, well, follow your conscience. Don't follow your conscience. Follow the Holy Spirit. Follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Okay? I'm just, just my advice to you. I was, list, I was reading about a, a, uh, a man that, uh, when we were down in Tijuana, uh, uh, the cartels, this man had a very special job. Uh, he worked for a cartel. And um, they, they called him El Pozolero. Uh, ever, ever had Pozole? I like Pozole. If you make some, please invite me over. Especially put cabbage and radishes. But anyway. And so, they called him Pozolero. There's a reason they called him that. His job, he had a whole, uh, about three acres out in the desert somewhere, closer to town, and, and, uh, and, and, and his job, when the cartels would be out, uh, uh, eliminating their enemies, they would bring them to him. And he had about five or six of those uh, metal oil drums filled with acid. And his job was to take, unload the truck full of bodies, and, and put them into those, and, and, and those drums, and dissolve them. And he said the only thing that was left was the tea. Everything else was gone. When they raided the place, they found him in the act. He was actually working. And they interviewed him after. They said, how can you do this? How can you, how can you be involved in this? And this is what he said. The first body they brought, I kind of had nightmares about it. it. It really bothered me. But then they kept bringing more. 
and more and more. And now it's just a job I do to feed my family. I make $500 a week in Mexico to dissolve the body. It's not to feed my family. I don't see what the problem is. You see, sin has that power. It desensitizes you. Once you get involved, you've already started down that road. Once you view that stuff one time, you're going to do it again because it has an enslaving power. And you're going to be a slave to it. Now, his eyes were also affected. All he could see were his sins. He said, my sin is ever before me. Right there. Every time, the sin was right there. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, trying to win him back. There it is. You remember that? Yes, Lord, I do. Do you remember that? Yes. Do you remember that? You know, the conscience can become seared. The conscience can be quieted. The conscience, I, I always say, just follow God. Don't trust your conscience. Because your conscience, it can be educated. It can be seared. It can, I mean, you can actually lose direction. You've got to listen to God. And if God said something is sin, go on that. Well, my conscience don't bother me. I've been watching that stuff, worldly stuff, and it don't bother me now. So it must be okay. No, it is not. Sin has taken an effect, and you have desensitized. And you're just going deeper. And deeper, it's like a drug. You know one of the biggest problems with, uh, with, with marijuana? A lot of problems. But it's a gateway drug. They told us it's for people that are sick and for their pain. Like we didn't have Tylenol. It was just an excuse. It helps me sleep. So does a good conscience. How about getting one of those? Clear conscience, that'll help you go to sleep. But see, the body is so is so prone to addiction. And once you give it sin, it wants more and stronger and bigger. You got to get that rush. You got to get that. You, you got to increase that. So you go from you start with the with 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 the cigarettes, the liquor, the marijuana, and then all of a sudden you you make it all of a sudden you you're trapped. You're all the way down there. See, no one ever wakes up and says, "Boy, I sure wish I was an alcoholic." Oh, oh my, I want to be not so bad. No, they said, let me just take a little drink. Just a little bit. I'll get up. Come on, out. And I'll keep me? No way. But then it's every day. And then you start missing work. And then you start tearing your family apart. And then you lose your family. And then you lose your health. But see, you never thought of that when you started. And I've seen people take simple steps on that little phone that they have. They confessed it in my living room. I never thought, Pastor, that I would go that deep into this stuff. There's four full-time clinics in the city of Seattle that are packed for addiction to pornography. Four. You try to get an appointment, and I, I think they're like five months out. All four of them, and they're huge. We have to call sin for what it is. David's eyes were affected. My sin is ever before me. But his ears were also affected. He said he lost the sound of joy and gladness. 
He's asking for a restoration. He said that I, that, that I may that I may that I may see. Uh, uh, he says uh, not only he were also he could see his, his sins. Verse fifty one, verse uh, verse three said against thee, uh, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. But you keep going, and this is and this is where you find that all of a sudden. He couldn't hear the things he needed to be hearing. It affects you. God bringing a message to you and you don't hear it. This guy didn't, I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. Matter of fact, I don't think I'm even interested in that. It affects your hearing. The place can be filled with people and the same message and you just didn't get it. People went to the altar, they got help, or they got blessed. You didn't even know what happened. Because your ears are tuned to respond to other than godly things. You used to put on good music, holiness music, while you were doing things at home and to encourage you and to remind you of God in prayer. Now all of a sudden it's something else. It's music you would never admit to listening to in the privacy of your home. I'll give you a little, just think about that. David's lips were also affected. For he could no longer testify or witness. Or even sing his praises. He said that I may rejoice. That I may speak. He had lost. Some wonderful things that God had given him. That's why some people just don't testify. What, what can they say? And he said, restore this unto me. Give this back to me. Sin was in the way of a clear testimony. Can I tell you, what, what, when it comes to uh, testifying, there, there's, there's something we're, we're missing. And, and please don't take me as a know-it-all. Nobody likes a know-it-all, and I don't like a know-it-all. So please don't write me off as one. But whatever happened to when we testified, Talking about when and where we were sanctified our faith. I mean, it, 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 to, to, to me, a testimony is uh, you're, you're, you're trying to tell others and God and, and you're setting your stakes and, and you're telling us this is what drives me that one day, like the Apostle Paul said, one day I was on my way to Damascus. On the Damascus road, Jesus came to me and said, so why does, and that's his testimony. He knew where, he knew how, he knew everything. Focus on the last thing I want to say. I'm just, I'm just telling you. A lot of people don't even know when they were saved. Somebody asked me, how do you know you're saved? Well, I was there. I was there when I got saved. And I said, well, how do you know that, that you're generally saved with relation to sin? That's very simple, too. When you abandon your sin. When you're no longer involved in it. That's how you know you've been delivered. That's what deliverance means. Deliverance means you're no longer involved. You have been pulled out. You have been taken out. It, it, repentance, did you know, is a military term. Repentance is a military term. Repentance means your emotion, a boom, boom. 
That means you're turning your back on sin. You're turning your back. You're no longer doing it. But when you come to the altar and, and you feel like God has saved you, the evidence that you've been saved is when you go back and you no longer get tangled up in the same sin. And so when you come to the altar, you don't come to get a blessing. You come to die. You're here to die to your sin. You're here to die to yourself. You're here to die to the world. And if you don't come with those that disposition to do it, it nothing's going to happen. You can cry. You know? And, and we cry. I cry. But do you know what you're crying about? If it ain't sorrow for sin, if it ain't, uh, it, you know, it's... It, Sometimes we, 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 we need to learn how to help the people that come to the altar. We do. I've seen people that come with heavy hearts, and there they are in the religious business of God. And some say it was gracious of the Lord. Oh, but God's good. God's so good. He loves you. Oh, he does love you. Of course he loves you. What do you think?
Turclan, pues muy bien para hoy estamos a José. There's a young man, a man, a young father that got saved about a year and a half ago in my church. And I'm telling you, that man was my personal evangelist, and he didn't even know it. He taught me, he reminded me of so many things. He, he would come uh, to the house, Pastor, can I, can I talk to you? Sure. And he would just talk about his everyday walk with God. And I'm sitting there and said, Lord, you sent this man to talk to me right now. He doesn't even know he's my best. One day he comes to us. His brother can't do it now. I was at work. And I was bigger with the job while I was And all of a sudden, I didn't feel that. He said, Lord, where are you? an atheist and, and a blasphemer uh, knowing that the young boy was a believer 
she decided, uh, she thought that uh, the little lad, uh, so she went and, and talked to him and said, uh, uh, you say that God exists and he is good, right? Yes, the boy said. And you say that he created everything, right? said, yes, I, I believe that. And the teacher said, tell me then, if God is so good, then why did he create evil? said, if God is so good, why did he create evil? The, ch the kid turns back and says, well, can I ask you a question? And uh, the kid says, teacher, does cold exist? She says, of course cold exists. Why do you think we have jackets? And he says, does darkness exist? She said, of course it's darkness. Like, why do you think we have light bulbs? He said, well, actually, if you knew anything, neither cold or darkness actually exists. He said, cold is just a lack of heat. Darkness is just a lack of light. And evil is just a lack of God. Sin, God's administration is against it. God's great redemption plan is against it. And God's essential nature is utterly opposed to it. So true pen penitence feels uh, says this, and says, against thee have I sinned. Here's what Hyman Appleman said. We are prone to try to shift responsibility of our sins from ourselves to others. We blame the circumstances in which we were placed, or the temptations by which we, were, we are assailed, or the tendencies which we have inherited, or the training which we have received. But of this we find nothing in this penitential psalm. David feels that the sin and guilt of his crimes were his and his only. And I acknowledge my transgressions, and he said, I have sinned. David was done. No excuses. I see the effects on me. And now he says, Lord, now you've got to clean me up. You've got to clean me up. You've got to help me out. So you've confessed. You've taught the Lord, okay, it, it is a sin. I, I'm sorry. I feel the pain. I can I see the danger. But now, uh, there, there, there's something that you need to do. You need to accept the cleansing. You need to accept God's power to help you out. You need to believe that he can. You need to believe that he is willing, wanting, he is able to clean you up. He's able to forgive. He's able to pardon. He's able to straighten you out. The foundation of David's faith is, is, is founded in, 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 in the very first place. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, basically is what he's saying. He said in Isaiah 55, 6, Seek ye the Lord, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And then let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous men his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So you must have faith in God. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that seek him diligently. And then not only must we must we have faith in God, but we, we must come with them in, in the in the assurance of faith. Again, Hebrews ten nineteen, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he had consecrated for us uh, through the, the veil that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. It's telling us how to come to God. 
Many people get stuck. They say, well, my sin. And the devil says, well, you, 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 you just acknowledge your sin and then walk away because they say, you know, God's not going to forgive you. You know, working with the homeless for 17 years, that's one of the hardest things for me to do is to convince them that God forgives them if they repent. God, I tell them, God, if God forgives you, you've got to be able to forgive yourself. You got, you got to move past that. You have to believe what the Bible says. You have to believe what God is telling you. You know, we were there at the Christian Aid Center. That's what it's called in Walla Walla. And, uh, one of the things that had to, being there, I, we would cook a meal on Friday night and then I'd preach on Saturday night the chapel service. I wasn't the only preacher. They had several that would come. And I remember well, one of the things that it is a faith-based organization, so it takes no money from the government, so they can, they can apply faith any way they see fit. They didn't let the Mormons come say anything, any of the cults. Even the Catholics weren't allowed to come and do anything. Supported by Christian community, and it was by our values. And so if somebody came in to, to stay there, to stay the night or to eat, they had to go to chapel. Because that was our main thing. We wanted to bring the gospel to them. So it was often that uh, some would come with not the greatest of attitudes. As a matter of fact, most of the time they didn't. Because they felt, well, in order to feed me, you may have to go sit to some boring sermon. And, 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 and they would always be kind of grumpy. One day, I'm there. And uh, I was preaching. And a man walks in. Big, heavy set guy. Dirty, blonde hair draping over his eyes. And, and just came in and, and, and looked like somebody pushed him in the chapel there and he sat down and, and just kind of slumped down right there and he's just watching at me. I could see his eyes through his hair and he just thought not, not look so happy. And uh, got to preaching and, and when we got done uh, we would always open the altar if anybody wanted to pray and and, uh, and so after the service he, he, he stops over to where I was in the front. My wife and I were there and she says, he said, I'm going to ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, everything you said tonight, is that true? I said, I hope it was. Is there anything particular that, I, that you want to talk about? He said, but you said that the Bible says that God can forgive you no matter what thing you have done. Is that true? Over my Bible? I said, the blood of Jesus. But you can't say that because you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. I don't know you, but I know my Savior. This I know. And to be frank with you, I don't really care to know what you've done. All I can tell is point you to, blood, to the blood of Jesus. I can cleanse you from whatever sin you committed, right. sir. And he, I guess it came to his mind, whatever flashed for his mind, he got nervous, and he stormed out. He runs out. And he, he goes across the street. So I went right after him. I chased him. I caught up to him and said, excuse me, you asked me a question, and I'm not done answering it. He said, well, where's your church? I said, never mind church. I don't want to talk to you about church. Forget about church right now. 
I'm trying to talk, talk to you about what's here. And this is God visiting your soul. This is your office. We go back in this framework. And this Let's cooperate with God. No, I'll just go to your church and say, never mind the church. This is an opportunity. In my mind, I'm thinking, tomorrow we never come for this. This is the opportunity right now. And finally, I couldn't persuade him. And he finally said, you know, I said, okay, here's here's my card. But I sure wish you would just go back in and pray with me. I wish you would do that. No, I'll be at your church tomorrow. Half my congregation was homeless people. And uh, so we're having a service there. And God was just helping us that morning. And, uh, and all of a sudden, here he comes again. Hurts the same, looking the same, but uh, maybe a little bit more tired. I don't think he slept that night. He comes and he sits at the same place that he comes and sits at the church there. And he's looking at me. And all of a sudden, he gets up. And he starts wiping his chin. And he starts making his wife. He was crying out to God. He was leaving nothing. He prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. I really, really had to pray. It's out. It was How 
quickly I corrupted myself morally. I defrauded many, many people that placed confidence in me. And so with this note, I was saying goodbye to the world. And I was saying, I was greeting the demons of hell, because that's where I was headed. And he began to read some notes on it. He talked about his mother. He talked about how she prayed for him. He talked about how he, he had a dad that tried to raise him right. He tried to talk about all the efforts that his parents were made. Because I was just so determined to ruin myself. And then I did, and I did it so fast, so quickly. And this note was a testimony of a failed life at the end of a sinful life. And he said, but I want to tell you that today, as I was there, as I walked in, I met the Savior who came and told me, James, you don't have to take your own life. Let me take it for you. I want your life. I love you. I still want you. And he said, I want you. No, I don't need this anymore. I don't need it. He crumbled and he threw it on the ground. There wasn't a single dry eye in that congregation. That was 14 years ago. He moved to the place, the Tacoma area. He has his mother there who just recently passed. And he'll come by on Christmas and he's like, that's a good job. But he always comes out and sits down and remembers what God did for him. He attends a semi-conservative church there in the area. And he's helping his, his mother, he's helping his family. And he's just trying to start, get his life back together, which he had. You see, if we just keep the right attitude, God has the reward for us. No wonder David said what he said about the mercy of God. He experienced it firsthand. If we just have the right approach to God, He'll help us. Now, I don't know what the Lord talked to you about. I don't know if it's something in the cell phone. I don't know what maybe came to your mind. But if you'll come to God, He'll help you, whatever it is. Let's stand. I want us to bow our heads. We're in revival. And there's a reason we want revival. But we have to be, have total Holy Ghost honesty. I know. Zero emotion, and that's okay. But are we willing to come to God and say, Lord, I, I just need you. I'd like my seekers to come if we could pray for just a little bit. You could come and pray. And I'm not saying you're guilty of anything. I'm just saying if you're seeking to be sanctified, God wants to help you tonight. Would you come and gather around for just a little bit and talk to God? We'll pray for you. Maybe there's some seekers that aren't going to declare themselves seekers. They're going to walk out and know that God had spoken, but that are going to determine to try to make it work. Father, I pray for them as well. I pray for all of us. Father, that we just take your mind and place it in ourselves. And to see sin, the horrible that it is, and the consequences, but also the, the heart of God that is willing to, to, to save us and to deliver us, to forgive us, to restore us, to 
cleanse us. Father, we ask for your help tonight. We're asking for Holy Ghost on it. Oh God, would you help us? I'm going to ask you if you're not coming to the altar, if you'll just uh, sit where you're at reverently, pray, and uh, maybe we can pray for those that are here. I'd like for us to do that. As I pray, let's do that. Father, we thank you tonight for speaking to us the way that you have. It's your word. It is your word. It is for us. Feel very applicable to our souls and to our time. Father, would you awaken us in us, Lord, and help us and revive us and, and get us to the place where we need to be. We ask for the seekers that are here. We ask for those that, that aren't going to declare themselves as seekers. We pray for them. We pray that you would also love them. Talk to them, Lord. Persuade them. Show them. Oh, God, I pray that they could take a glance at the Master, at His sacrifice, His blood, and His love, and His willingness to help all those who come to Him. Father, we're asking this in Jesus' name. Let's pray for a little bit. 